Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in the Cozy Corner. Welcome. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Author Mia Manansala joins me in the corner today to chat about homicide and hit homicide in Hollow Hollow. Uh, speaking of homicide in Hollow Hollow, it's your second Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery. So would you please tell us what's happening with your sleuth, Lila? Sure, thanks. Um, so it's a few months after the events of the first book, uh, Arsenic and Adobo, and Lila's trying to settle into her new life at Shady Palms, and her, she's opened a new cafe with her best friends, but echoes of her past keep kind of pulling her back. The town's um, beauty pageant, the Miss Teen Shady Palms pageant, has returned, and it is a pageant that is... Um, she has like a kind of a tortured history with she was a previous winner but she has really complicated feelings about it due to her relationship with her deceased beauty queen mother and due to her relationship with like her rival frenemy cousin bernadette who um is the main suspect in the murder um lila is dragged into becoming a judge for this pageant and of course, you know, the head judge is a bit of a creep and they he's found murdered and her cousin was the last one kind of seen with him, uh, threatening him due to some untoward things he was uh, saying to her protege. And so she becomes the main suspect and that's kind of how it all kicks off. And so what, what led you to choose a beauty pageant as the backdrop for your for your murder in this book? I love saying that because you know, I love saying to people that if there are two things in my mind, if, there, if there's one thing, I mean, sorry, if there's one thing in my mind that small town America and the Philippines has in common, it's their love of beauty pageants. Um, like uh, the Filipinos are, again, generally speaking, Filipinos tend to be very, very into the pageantry. Um, I'm not a, like I'm not super into like I'm not against them. I'm not. I, I, I was I was always just kind of wondered like why like what is it about this spectacle that people seem to love so much? Um, so I, I I actually did quite a bit of research. It's it's like if you just Google like Filipinos and beauty pageants, there's actually tons of like scholarly articles and, and and journalistic articles about it because it actually is such a phenomenon there. One of the most common things people say is that. It was, it's a wonderful way for like a young girl to, to get out of poverty. Um, and like in the Philippines, usually like a beauty queen is not just like, oh, good for you. Like you won a scholarship. Like you're kind of expected to become almost like a social activist. Like you're expected to give back to the community. You're expected to choose like a cause and kind of champion that. So you, you're really held to a high standard um, when it comes to that. And then, you know, of course, like I really love, you know, Miss Congeniality and Drop Dead Gorgeous. And, you know, knowing those movies, knowing the possible drama that beauty pageants can bring about, you know, the rivalries, the pettiness sometimes, I was like, that is the perfect setting for a murder mystery. And uh, at least in with US beauty pageants, some of the uh, 
sort of behind the scenes shows you see, you kind of wonder why there aren't actually more murders. Um, <laughs> they, they sort of present a, a not so beautiful picture of what goes on. And there have also been some, you know, in recent decades, some controversy, at least in the U.S., about whether pageants objectify women, you know, the, mm-hmm. the swimsuit competitions and things like that. Uh, so it's, you know, and thank you for enlightening me. It didn't occur to me that perhaps pageants have a different role in other parts of the world. Um, but did, did you examine some of those, those controversies and some of those cultural differences in your book? Yes and no. So with this book, there was like a lot that I really wanted to go into because, and you know, and some of it I did. Some of them, like I was a little bit on the nose with, <laughs> with my comments, but you know, I'm like, 2020 was rough. Some of these things need to be said, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. also because like it's a teen pageant and, you know, as an adult, it feels a little like, eh, but like, I feel like teens are usually just so earnest and so passionate. Uh, I'm like, we, you know, we talk down about teens all the time, but like when they care, they, they, they go all in, they care so much. So like some of the things I'm saying, I'm like, oh, I've like legit heard, you know, teens, like I work in youth services, like I've heard teens talk like this, you know? Um, but yeah, like I really wanted to touch on, particularly in the Philippines, like colonial standards of beauty, um, colorism, you know, just, and, and in some ways I did touch on it in like really subtle ways, but in some of them, you know, my editors were like, look, this is really great stuff, but it's a mystery and it's kind of detracting. Like you could, how about you leave this, you take out this, you limit the, you know, and like they were helping me shape like, you know, like what is commentary and what is like the story. And those things are like, because, you know, I'm big on setting and like the world of the pageant is actually really important for me to set up so that people kind of understand how some of these like, um, like rivalries would happen, but it's not only about those things. So I kind of had to pull back in certain areas where I was like, you're a little too heavy handed there. And one thing that your your books are noted for is is their their humor. But as you mentioned, you are touching on some uh, significant social issues. You know the the colorism and uh, what pageants mean to people. And you mentioned the the intensity of teenagers. And we're, we're doing this interview what like three days after uh, Chicago high school students staged mm-hmm. a walkout. So it, how do, how do you not ignore those? very important things that are going on in the real world and you, you've got a protagonist of color so she can't pretend it's all you know Mayberry it's not mm-hmm. but how do you also keep it humorous and cozy at the same time oh that's a great question you know because I kind of touched on that a little bit you know especially within the first book because the fact that my protagonist is a woman of color like it, the story like the stories are never about that but if I want to be true to the character, I have to think about how her experiences as a young woman of color in a, in a small town in the Midwest, not only change how she sees the world, but how the world sees her, right? Because that's not something you can really control. And so the, the, there will be like subtle mentions. Um, like in the first, the first book, I had to really um, edit, 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 refine like certain scenes with her and the police because there are ways that, you know, like a young brown woman would have to act around the police that maybe, um, maybe her white counterparts, which I've read in certain other cozy mysteries, they wouldn't think about because for them, like the police are, are there to protect, right? Like maybe they're there, like they're obstacles in the way of the, of the investigation, but they're not 
a threat necessarily uh, in the same way some people of color um, could feel that the police presence is threatening, particularly with her, her, you know, she her family kind of has a history with the police due to certain family members that she has. So it, it's one of those things where like, I, I try to show it in certain scenes without her being like, oh my God, it's so hard being a woman of color in the world, you know, necessarily like it's, I, I slip it in where like, if you see it, you can see what I'm doing, um, but I'm trying to not draw too much attention to it. Because um, again, it's not about that, but it, it's not a complete story if I don't include it as well. So you, you're, you just keep in mind that you're writing a mystery and not a textbook? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know, honestly, it can be really hard because there are times like where I have these very strong feelings about things and you're like, but does your character feel that way? Um, is that needed for this story? You know, is that what's happening here? Like you're not writing, you know, like a didactic text, you know, trying to preach from, a, you know, you're trying to entertain while also slipping in very real issues because it's crime fiction, you know, just because it's a cozy doesn't mean we're not talking about real things. And, and at the heart of it, no, we, we are at the end of the day talking about murder because it's yeah. a murder mystery. <laughs> yeah, which sometimes um, people seem to forget. And it's just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a dead body or six in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but another thing you talk about and you know, with um, is, is food. You know, with the, your mm -hmm. series title is Tito Rosie's Kitchen. So obviously they're culinary cozies. Mm -hmm. uh, but Filipino cuisine is, is, is a cuisine that maybe a lot of listeners aren't familiar with. So would you mm -hmm. tell us like, you know, what, what would you expect to enjoy if you went to Tito Rosie's kitchen? So it can sometimes be hard to talk about Filipino food. Um, well, one, it's like, it's a giant archipelago of like over 7,000 islands. So like regional differences are, 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 can be really big. So even arsenic and adobo, like I chose that because adobo is considered our national dish but there's no like one way of making it. Um, so yeah, I even say like in the recipe, like header, I'm just like, oh, by the way, you know, this is how Tita, excuse me, Tita means aunt in Tagalog, by the way, it's, it's like an honorific. So her aunt Rosie, that like, this is how Tita Rosie makes her chicken adobo. This is like not the definitive recipe, you know, like don't, add, you know, <laughs> like angry grandmas, don't let me know that this is the wrong way to do it. Um, kind of a thing. So like, so for example, with adobo, it's, um, it usually will have soy sauce, vinegar, garlic, bay leaf, and peppercorns. Not all of them do, because again, there's variations, but th that's the kind that I grew up with. And that's the one I chose also because like, there's not any ingredients that are necessarily difficult to source. You know, like soy sauce has become, you know, popular enough and part of the mainstream where like, even most like, I don't know, I'm, ass I'm assuming most like smaller towns, have access, at least if not in their town, somewhere nearby that they can get it. Um, there are a couple of other ingredients that are a little more difficult. So for example, my protagonist, Lila, she really loves doing fusion desserts. So Filipino spins on what we think of as, as American and, and vice versa. So like her ube crinkles, which are a type of cookie, ube, U-B-E uh, is the spelling. It's, it's, a, it's a purple yam, which is indigenous to the Philippines. And it has like it's, it's, it's very similar to sweet potato. Um, it has kind of like vanilla undertones. It's a, it's, it's a um, someone's kind of said it's also similar to pistachio. It's a very subtle flavor. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, and so like, yeah, purple yams are not something you can just like find everywhere. You know, you can order like 
powdered versions online and there's like frozen ones if you have access to a Filipino or, or an Asian grocery store. But you know, that one will be a little bit more difficult to source. Um, a lot of coconut in our um, cuisine. Uh, the, the coconut tree is known as like the tree of life because like we use every part of it. Like the, the, the fronds are used, the um, like the palm, like the heart of the palm is food, the coconut husks, the meat, everything. Um, so if you know, someone was like, there's a lot of coconut in here. I'm like, it's a tropical country. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we make do with what we have, you know, a lot, a lot of like preserving a lot of like, um, Spanish influences, you know, again, uh, colonized for about 300 years. Um, a lot of like strange, um, like leftovers from like American GI influence. So like canned foods are really big in the Philippines, like spam, Vienna sausage, corned beef. Um, we have a very traditional um, fruit salad dish that we serve around the holidays that's made with a uh, canned fruit cocktail, which is strange considering we have so much amazing fresh fruit, but the canned like fruit cocktail is like a delicacy, you know, it's like a special treat for the holidays. Oh, wow. like so a lot of stuff like that. You like the same kind of canned fruit cocktail where uh, you see like in a, a well, I don't know if they serve it anymore. I'm going to date myself. They used to get uh, <laughs> at school lunch where you, you'd like fight to try and get the cherry in it. Yeah, like, like those, like, yeah, basically like a tinned, you know, like Del Monte or, or whatever, like the Dole kind of American <laughs> brand. Yeah, I, I didn't actually like that. So, um, I mean, <laughs> if I was, you know, a place where you get like coconuts right off the tree, I, but I, I have to admit, I, I do like canned fruit salad and I was always disappointed <laughs> if I didn't get the serving with the cherry in it because it's always like there's like two maraschino yeah. cherries and it's like I want one <laughs> but uh, what 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 region of the uh of the Philippines um is Lila and, and Peter well are Lila and Peter, Peter Rosie from like what region of the Philippines is their cuisine based on they're kind of like on the main island of Luzon which oh excuse me um like the so like the capital of manila is on like that part of the island um like my family are, are like from like that general like it's from that same island as well um so like a lot of things so in that area i was trying to think because like like the south is known more for like very coconut curry like what you would think of as like a southeast asian like, like a much more spicy up north it's a little bit different um, I think a little bit more bitter, vegetable-based. Um, pork features very heavily, um, which is something, you know, like I also mentioned uh, in the book. Yeah, it's it's really hard. Because again, a lot of things is because I was born and raised in Chicago. So for me, my connection to my culture is my family. I know what my family, so <laughs> when writing this book, so there's a, so um, I, for my very first book, especially, I had like a Filipino sensitivity reader because in my head, it's hard for me to separate. Is this like a Filipino cultural thing or is this my family? You know, like I, I don't want to speak to and be like, oh, yeah, this is so Filipino. And then they're like, no, I've never heard, you know. So I kind of wanted some outside perspective on that because there are huge, you know, just because I'm writing from my own perspective, it's only my perspective. And my protagonist is not me. So I wanted some outside voices, you know, telling me like, oh yeah, my family always did this or like, oh, I've never heard of that. And so I had multiple people kind of like look at certain parts and chime in. And uh, how about for your, for your recipes? Did other people uh, contribute recipes? Because I, I know you, you post a lot on social media recipes you're trying out, <laughs> and your, your newsletter, you include recipes. So are those 
all yours and your families or did other people say hey you know here's one from from my family or here's one from another region of the philippines or how how do your recipes come about I haven't sourced any outside recipes yet, but like I'm hoping to eventually like in the future. And like, I really wish I could include my family recipes, but like my dad was the cook in the family. Um, and he was like that old school cook where like measurements weren't really a thing. <laughs> I, you know, I, there are times I tried to watch him as he cooked and I'd be like, how much soy sauce are you using? How much garlic is that? And you know, like he'll like he'll just pick Some. up the bottle and pour and be like that much. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And it's it's funny because like I technically cook that way too, but like when I but I need a base if I'm starting something new. So for these recipes, I search online. And then like I cobble a few together. Like I'm not copying and pasting from anyone else's like recipe. I don't want to give the wrong idea. Um, because in my head, um, Filipino food tastes the way my father made it. Like for me, that's what Filipino food is because it's such a, 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 a personal connection to me. So I'll find these recipes that look close to the way he, he, he cooked them. I, unfortunately, he passed away in 2018. So, you know, I, I, I can't really ask him for, the, for this kind of information. So I'll find these recipes that are similar and then just keep tweaking and tweaking until it's how I remember. And then those, that, those are the versions I go with. Do you take notes while you're doing it so that you have the actual measurements when you find the right version? Because I I was laughing because I grew up with a a mother who cooks the same way. It's like, how much of that? Some, how much of that? (laughs) You know, it's like, and it it always comes out right. But it's like, yeah, I can't actually write that down, mom. Could you help me out? (laughs) So do you, when you're doing it, you take this like, oh, some is actually an eighth of a teaspoon or Mm -hmm. so that you can then reproduce that in in the the book. Sometimes I'll actually remember, um, you know, where I'm just like, oh, okay, good. Like, and I'll take a note on my phone. Um, And then sometimes I don't, and I'm like, oh, dang it. I think this is how much um, I'm going to have to test it again. (laughs) I did that with a cookie uh, recipe recently, actually. I was tweaking it for book three because it takes place around Christmas. So I was like messing with like Christmas themed cookies and I was making it for a present for a friend. So I was like, oh, okay. The last batch wasn't great. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, the one I was looking for. I'm like, why don't I just do this? And like, this was again, like not measuring. I just a handful of something. And I was just like, oh, that was perfect. Oh no. What did I do? Oh, And, and speaking of book three, because you, you've already got a title for it, and I saw on the on the your publisher's website, there's the little placeholder with the the title waiting for its, its yeah. cover design. So, can you can you give us a sneak peek of book three? Yeah, sure. Book three comes out this year in October, and it ta- as I mentioned, it takes place around Christmas time. And um, so earlier, I mentioned that Lila's uh, family had. Um, some run-ins with the police uh, due to family history. That family history returns to the town of Shady Palms in the form of her cousin, Ronnie, who is her Tita Rosie's only child. Um, He was kind of a, she views him, I should say, as kind of like a good for nothing. He was just kind of always getting into trouble. And then he basically ghosted the family 15 years ago. Just, he turned 18 and just left and hadn't contacted them since. Now he's returned to the town with two business partners and they're opening up the, a new winery, hoping to bring new business and try to settle down. And, it, it, you know, he wants to make things right with his family. Um, but in her mind, wherever he goes, trouble follows. And she's right <laughs> because his investors come to visit and one of them dies of apparent poisoning. And then so, of course, 
you know, she wants none of no part of it because her relationship with her cousin are not, is not great. But for her aunt's sake, she's going to do what she can to kind of clear his name. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, every, but every family has at least one of those cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, even though your, your, you know, characters are, are Filipino, do you, um, do you consciously look for the uh, I don't know, the, the universal in the particular? Because um, this is <laughs> something that I mean, you could still relate to that even if mm-hmm. you literally can't find the Philippines on a map, um, mm-hmm. because at least you know, everybody's got one of those cousins somewhere, mm-hmm. or at least knows somebody's got one of those cousins. So do you do you or do you just write the story you're going to write and it's, and make it the best story you can and and just you know trust that folks will. will um, you know, find something in it that that speaks mm-hmm. to them. I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I do the second way. Like, I write the best story that I can. I write with the, I, the story I want to write. Um, you know, I, when I started the series, I was doing that Toni Morrison thing, like, write the story that you want to read. And the fact that people can relate, they're like, oh, I know that, but, like, they may not understand, like, they might have, like, never met a Filipino person in their life. I just, or just like, can't even find it on the map. But they're like, I understand this. I think speaks to, to the universality, you know, like, it doesn't matter if you don't understand Filipino culture, you understand other people. You know, one of my favorite things is, like, when I'm talking to, I do a lot of, like, library talks and book club talks, and people, you know, so, you know, I've had people who are like, oh, you know, I'm Italian, I'm Greek, I'm from Cameroon, I'm Puerto Rican. And like, I know those aunties because in my book, we have the calendar crew who are her, her godmothers, plural, <laughs> and, and, you know, like the aunties of, of the story. And they're like, I know those women because um, I feel like everyone has an auntie, you know, like that, the, you know, the women of that generation who do not care and will let you know what they think. I feel like people can really relate to that <laughs> maybe you are that auntie and you're like oh yeah like good let her know <laughs> she's being a fool making terrible decisions gotta let her know um so I feel like yeah again it doesn't really matter your background you like these are just people trying to live their lives and doing the best they can and getting pulled into these like kind of you know extraordinary kind of ridiculous circumstances <laughs> um so if you can if you can relate to some of my characters that makes me so happy and what's, what's the name of book three? Uh, Blackmail and Bibinka. Bibinka is like a traditional rice cake you serve around uh, Christmas time. And you said it's set at Christmas, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's another thing. If, 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 if Filipinos love beauty pageants, they love Christmas even more. We have, and, and I'm not joking, like you can Google this, the longest Christmas season in the world. Really? <laughs> yeah, they start celebrating in what they call the Burr month, September, October, November. Oh. <laughs> so it's it's a four wow. month Christmas season in the Philippines. Oh wow! No joke. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I get up the nerve to do another Christmas special for the podcast <laughs> and have you tell me stories about the uh, Filipino Christmas traditions, <laughs> and um, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, uh, give you some public acknowledgement for this. Congratulations on being nominated as one of Chicago's best authors for the Chicago Best 2021 competition, which if, <laughs> if people you. listening don't know is, <laughs> is a big deal. I mean, it literally gets an entire magazine um, every year for all the best everything short of, I think maybe street sweepers in Chicago, <laughs> so it's restaurants, hotels, stores, uh, 
playwrights, poets, and you are one of the nominees for best author. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and so, so where can readers connect with Chicago's best author? <laughs> Yeah, so on social media, I have the same handle across Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter. So it's at MPM, so my initials, MPM, the writer. And uh, where can they sign up for your newsletter so they can get their own uh, recipes and, and uh, try making some of your wonderful dishes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so my newsletter every month includes a Filipino or Filipino-inspired recipe, as long as like uh, news about my writing. Um, I, occasionally, I do some giveaways and things like that. And you can sign up on my website, which is just my full name, including the middle initial. So MiaPManansala.com. And where can they buy a copy of uh, Homicide and Hollow Hollow? <laughs> um, well, I would prefer you buy it from your local indie if you can, but uh, I am partnered with a couple of other indies. So if you are in the California area, Bel Canto, well, I say California area as if it's not a giant state, I'm sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> Bel Canto Books, I believe it's in Long Beach, California. It's a Filipino woman owned bookstore. If you pre-order from there, there are signed book plates and bookmarks. If you are in Texas, uh, there's a, a mystery themed bookstore called Murder by the Book. If you pre-order from there, you get a signed book plate, bookmark and sticker. Um, but if you want uh, signed personalized copies, you can order from The Book Table in Oak Park, Illinois or Centuries and Sleuths, which is a history and mystery bookstore in Forest Park, Illinois. I know I just gave you a lot of information, but I do love, you know, talking up indie bookstores. They have been so supportive. So if you can, please give them some love. Yes, and um, I was just jotting the names down because I will post those <laughs> names in the, in the show notes. Um, and of course, for folks who uh, don't happen to be near an indie bookstore or can't get to it for whatever reason, bookshop.org is another way you can support your, mm -hmm. your indies and still have it delivered uh, to your, your mailbox and get some, some cool book mail. So imagine the fun of opening a box and finding Homicide and Hollow Hollow right there on, the, <laughs> on top of the box. So <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me in the corner today, Mia. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Mia Manansala, author of Homicide and Hollow Hollow. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.